Thanks for joining us for today's message. We're always encouraged to hear about how God is using Adventure Church to speak and work in your life. If you've got a story you'd like to share, please do so on adventurechurch.tv slash mystory. Also, if you'd like to support Adventure Church financially, you can do that online and help us bring messages just like this one to you each and every week. Now let's prepare our hearts to hear a word from God. Today, uh, I apologize. I try to be funny in messages, but sometimes messages don't lend themselves to that. And so today will be a little bit more serious in tone because we're going to talk through another issue that's happened recently in our culture with the racially motivated shooting down in Charleston, South Carolina. And what happened in that situation, uh, if you are unaware, but a 21-year-old, 22-year-old white man approached a church, spent about an hour with them in a Bible study class, and then stood up at the end of that class and took nine lives of African Americans with the sole purpose of saying, I am here to kill black people. And, And how do we respond when those type of things happen in our culture? How do we respond when those type of things, maybe not on that magnitude, happen to you? What does Jesus have to say through his word about issues like that? Today, that's what we're going to talk through. Uh, Before we do that, I I do have somewhat of a funny story to share with you. But when I was in sixth grade, how many of you remember like the science class desk that you had? They were like six inches of solid black stuff. I don't even know what they were, right? Maybe not six, maybe like three, but it was like just solid stuff that you could do all your experiments on and that you didn't sit by yourself, you sat at a table with someone. So you had like a lab partner or whatever it may be. And so I was in sixth grade and someone took the notebook of this kid and put it on my table. They were messing with him and he, they, it was a, an ongoing thing and he got upset because in his notebook was where next to my section and my lab partner wasn't there yet. So he thought that I took his notebook. And so he was very upset, and without any warning, he just punched me in the face, right? And so as a sixth grade boy, I said, you know, this was my BC days before Christ in my life. I responded, right? And I said, oh, no, you did not. And so I stepped up to the plate. I was ready to go. I was like, hey, it's on like Donkey Kong. Let's go, man. And so little did I know that this guy was a trained MMA fighter, And within about three moves, I was down for the count. The dude had just whooped me. And thankfully, I had a friend, and his name was Big Al. Any of you have a guy like Big Al in your life that you love? And as a football player, Big Al was my center. And Big Al was trained to protect me. And so Big Al came to the rescue, and Big Al did what Big Al could do, and body slammed that dude. And I was very thankful for Big Al. And then we both got sent to the principal's office and we both got in-school suspension. It was not a good situation. And many of you hear a story like that and it's fun, it was sixth grade, and you would say like, yeah, man, you did exactly what you should do. Someone pops you in the face, you better pop them back. Like that's, that's the way that it should be, you know? And, and you probably even can quote an Old Testament scripture that you maybe not even know where it came from, but an eye for an eye, a tooth for a, yeah. You go, hey, this is the way it is. Defend yourself. You have a right to respond that way, to to fight back in that situation. But how many of you know that Jesus says something a little bit different? And how we respond, and, and maybe it's not a physical punch that you take, but someone, a close friend, stabs you in the back. A spouse betrays you. A coworker schemes against you. A family member 
causing tension in relationships, when, when someone does something to us that we didn't deserve. I didn't take his notebook. Someone else put it there. And when something happens like that, what does Jesus say about how we should respond? In Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 through 48, this is the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus is kind of laying out the ethical guidelines for his kingdom, saying, this is the way we operate in my kingdom, the way that we handle things in my kingdom. And so today, if you have not surrendered your life to Christ and are not following him, maybe you don't operate this way. But today, if you are a Christian, which means a Christ follower, that you are following in the way and the teachings of Jesus, he says, if you are mine, if you are following me, this is the way you live. Verse 38 of chapter 5 in Matthew. You have heard, the law says, that the punishment must match the injury. An eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Jesus is quoting the Old Testament. He said, but I say, do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, and in this culture, in what Jesus was talking about, maybe wasn't so much as a physical slap as it was an insult or in more of an insult than an act of, of violence, like a slap in the face, like Why would you do that? Why would you say that? He said, offer them the other cheek also. If you are sued in court and your shirt is taken from you, give them your coat too. If a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a mile, carry it two miles. Give to those who ask and don't turn away from those who want to borrow. Verse 43, you have heard, again, the old way, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. Look, hating your enemy was a widely accepted part of Jewish culture. That was what they knew. So Jesus is flipping it on them here. He's saying the way that you were raised, what your parents taught you, what culture has taught you is an okay response. He said, that's not the way it goes anymore. He said, but I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. He said, in that way, you'll be acting as as true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good. And he sends his rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors. And look, they were the worst of the worst in that culture. The worst of the worst. They wrongly took people's money and robbed people of their wages. He said, even the the, the worst of the worst do that much. They can love a friend. He said, if you are only kind to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. But you are to be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Pray with me. God, today's message I know will be very challenging for some, will be a paradigm shift for others. And God, I pray that our hearts would just be open to receive what you have for us. God, that we wouldn't be defensive or closed off, but we would be open to your instruction through your word and your words that you've given to us. In Jesus' name, amen. So in Matthew 5, again, Jesus is delivering his Sermon on the Mount, laying out the guidelines for his kingdom and the way that it's going to work and the way that it's going to happen. And Jesus was illustrating here the attitude the response that we are to have when we are being persecuted, when we are being mistreated, that we don't retaliate and take matters into our own hands, 
but he didn't say don't defend yourself. So I just want to throw that out there real quick. I'm not saying if someone's attacking you or your family that you just sit there with your hands behind your back, okay? That's not what he's saying here. You have a right to defend yourself and you should. But I'm talking more, that's a, that's a rare occasion that would happen. Jesus here was tackling more of the emotional things that we do and the relational issues that we struggle with with people when we have been mistreated. And he's saying, how do you respond in those things? Do you get defensive? Do you react? Do you re- Repay evil for evil. What are you going to do? Over and over again throughout that sermon, he said, you have heard it this way. You've heard that it's okay. Your, your parents told you it was okay to react this way. Culture, the media, the news, whatever you follow, whatever has influence and speaks into your life says, it is okay this way. Jesus says, you've heard all that, but he said, I'm saying something different. And when you've signed up to be a follower of his, what he says is all that matters. He has the final word. He has the final authority. So Jesus immediately begins to look at the old way versus the new way. The old you and the new you. You see, there was an old way of doing things. And now that you are following him, there's a new way of doing things. The old you is gone and the new you comes. That's what we do when we baptize people. It's an it's a illustration. It's a, a point of saying that we are burying our old self, that we are dying to our old life and we are being raised to new life in Christ. That's what that means, that we die, we literally die and bury the old. You have heard But now I'm saying something different. So what he says has to take precedent in our life, that there is a new way of doing things. Again, he was quoting Moses, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, the Old Testament law. This is the way that it was. He's saying, but I'm saying now it's different. In fact, you need to love your enemies. Whoa, what? Love? I can't love them. I can't do that and and pray for them. Do you know what they did to me? We're going to talk a little bit more about that. Because hating your enemy was, was accepted. It was a part of their culture. It was what they were taught to do. And Jesus is here talking to these people. And he's saying, all that stuff that you've been raised on, that you've been taught, he said, that's not the way it's going to work anymore. It's been flipped around. The opposite now is going to happen. And when we become Christians to Jesus, we are reborn. The old is gone, the new comes. And we have a new way of doing things. There should be a new way about you. A new way that you view things, a new way that you take action, the new way that you respond. See, Jesus challenges us and commands us to change. It's a command. He's Jesus. He's the authority. We're submitting to him. And he says, there's a new way. Here's the command. Here's if you're with me, if if, if you're following me, this is how it's going to have to be. But how do we do that? How do we respond with love and prayer for our enemies? There's a few things today I think we need to look at. The first thing is I think is we need to take a look at ourselves. Before you respond, it's all about getting the right perspective. Sometimes when we get in the, in the middle of one of those situations where it's, it's heated and it's very... Uh, tense and it's challenging what's happened in the situation that's taking place we don't see much beyond right here 
It's hard for us to see past our feelings. It's hard for us to see past the moment. And so we react with this much space, with this much perspective, and we respond the way that Jesus doesn't want us to. Jesus says that in Matthew 7, again, he was talking to the Pharisees. He was very harsh with religious people. He said, stop judging others or you will be, and you will not be judged. Hypocrite. It's calling the Pharisees out, the religious people. First get rid of the log from your own eye, then perhaps you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. I think when we find ourselves in these situations, we have to kind of zoom up to a 30,000 level view. We've got to take the lens and our perspective and zoom it out and get a view that's a little bit different, maybe a view that Jesus has of the situation. And we need to first ask ourselves, did I do anything to deserve this action or reaction from them? Were they acting against me or were they reacting to something I did? Last week was Father's Day. I talked a little bit about my childhood and discipline. And last week we talked about that we need to to lovingly discipline our children, discipline in love, and Scripture instructs us to do so. And as a child, my dad fully embraced the proverb, spare the rod, spoil the child. You know, and I shared some stories about those situations in my life. And I had a reverent fear of my dad because I knew if I went outside the boundaries that he had set in place, that there would be a price to pay for that. And there's a difference between spanking your child and beating your child. Spanking your child is disciplining them and and loving them and and correcting them. Beating your child usually comes from anger and frustration, and that's not godly and not what he wants, and that's a whole other topic for a whole other day. But I, I was never beaten as a child, but I was spanked as a child, okay? And most of the time when I was spanked, it was because I had it coming. You know what I'm saying? Like I had done something to deserve the punishment. And usually, uh, I, I was fearful and ready to receive what was, was coming to me because I deserved it. A lot of times in our life, if we, if we can zoom out a little bit and get a perspective of the situation, maybe there was something that happened and you didn't even know that it happened until you zoom out and go, did, did I say that right? Did, was that perceived right? Did they really get the intentions of my heart? I know a lot of times with, with my wife, she doesn't always get me, you know? She doesn't always understand me. Was I really that sarcastic? Did it come out like that? It just happened yesterday. Just threw her back out. I was busy. I just walked in the house. She said, I threw my back out, and I didn't respond with sympathy. I've never done that. I've never thrown my back out, so I don't know how it feels. So I just walked by, and I said, throw it back in. <laughs> she did not like that. I don't always get it right. Then later I said, I'm really sorry that your back hurts and I hope it gets better. And uh, Our chiropractor had a baby, so they're out of the office. So I said, hopefully we can pray through this one. But, but did I say something that deserved that response? Did I do something? I think we have to take a look inward first and make sure that we get the right perspective because perspective is, is key in these type of situations in our life. I'm going to use some quotes today from Martin Luther King Jr., and I think it's fitting with what's happened, the racially motivated crime in South Carolina and what happens and what he embraced and the values that he had and the mission that he had with his life. And he said that within the best of us, there's some evil, and that within the worst of us, there's some good. Think about that in the context of his life, what he faced, what he went through, the attacks that were on him, on his family, 
that he had a zoomed out perspective. That he said, even in this man who's attacking me, who's coming against me, that even in him, I believe that there's some good. And I'm going to respond in a way that hopefully brings out the good in him and not the bad. It's a powerful perspective. We have to have that. Everyone has a story. This young man who took those lives, he's got a story. And I'm not saying it excuses his behavior. We're going to talk in a minute that God is just, that punishment should fit the crime, and, and I'm all for that, and that we should submit to our government and the authority that they have, and, and, and he's in that process now. But I guarantee you there's probably some things that happened in that young man's life that made him begin to think the way that he thinks. And it doesn't excuse it, but it will help explain it. And so when we can zoom out and get a perspective of someone's life and their story, that we can begin to see, and hopefully it will help us to be able to respond the right way. And I think that's what Martin Luther King did. He would say things like, help me to see them the way that God sees them. That God can see past our actions, he can see past our sin, me and you, the junk that we've done, the issues that we have, that thankfully he sees past that and he looks to our soul. In his Bible, the word says that, that his will is that no one should perish, that no one should not have the opportunity to, to come to know him and to find the purpose that, that they have. His love doesn't discriminate. It gives mercies and grace new, the Bible says, every morning to you and to me, to the just, to the unjust. So we have to get a proper perspective. We need to take a look in before we start looking out. Then the next thing I believe we need to do is then we just need to respond the right way. We need to respond the right way. And Jesus shows us and tells us how we can do that. And here's the thing. You can't control everything that happens to you in life. You can't. But you can control what happens in you and how you respond to those situations. That power and that choice is all on you. Yesterday I was doing the funeral. Two teenage boys, 12 and 14 years old, killed in the car wreck at the hands of a drunk driver. I'm standing at the graveside, talking to their family, trying to give them any kind of encouragement I can in a situation like this. And I said, I don't know why this happened. I don't know why. That's a question that I can't answer. That's a question that you'll never be able to answer. So why would we spend time asking that question? Why would we spend time asking why over and over again? Because you're never going to get an answer that justifies what happened. And so it puts you in a place where you can't move forward. You get stuck. And I said, let me challenge you with this. And, and I can get into a whole theological discussion about free will and choice. And I've done that before from, from this stage and, and, and messages about how God gives you free will and unfortunately because that's the way a relationship works he doesn't make us do anything he gives us the power to choose and he wants us to choose him he wants us to choose what's right but unfortunately people don't always do that and unfortunately we can make choices that don't just affect us but affect those around us and that was the case of the situation someone made a bad choice and the family can sit there and ask why over and over again or you can ask other questions that maybe you can find answers to where should I turn? Who can I turn to? Who can I help? What can I learn? How is God trying to change me? How will God see me through this? There's, there's other questions that we can ask that I know God will respond to 
in the right way, in the right time, and teach us and shape us into who he wants us to be. We, we can't control everything that happens to us, but how we respond to it and how we allow it to, to get within us is on you. Jesus said, I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you, because in that way you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. There's a new way of doing things. Responding right is a choice that we have to make so that we represent Jesus the way that he wants to be represented. And he says pray. I don't don't think there was a coincidence there that he says love them, but you better pray. (laughs) Because the only way that you can love them is through a supernatural power that's given to you through prayer. Listen, it's not natural to love an enemy. Someone doesn't wrong you and you go, I'm so glad you wronged me. This is going to be a wonderful start to our relationship. I'm just going to begin to pray for you and love you through this. No, you don't naturally respond that way. That's not natural. So we need God's help to respond the way that he wants us to. You'll never respond right in your own strength and in your own power. So you begin to pray. This is one of the practical ways that love begins to express itself. is through prayer that you're taking a step to at least pray for them. It's a practical expression of the love that God has given inside of you. And then it will begin to, to stir up the power of God and the love of God through you. See, anyone can love a friend, Jesus said. Anyone can do that. But it takes my power, it takes my love to love an enemy. Anyone can love a friend, but it takes me to love an enemy. Romans 12, verses 14, 17, and 19. The Apostle Paul was addressing these people, and he said, if people persecute you because you're a Christian, don't curse them. Again, this word comes up, pray for them. Pray that God will bless them. What say that? Paul, wait. Jesus said just pray for them. You're saying pray blessings on them? I can pray, but I'm not about to pray that good things happen for them. Right? It's a step further. Paul's saying don't just pray. Pray that God will bless them. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Do things in such a way that everyone will see you are you as honorable. Dear friends, never avenge yourselves. Leave that to God, for it is written, I will take vengeance. I will repay those who deserve it, says the Lord. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing so, this will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. And then verse 21, don't let evil conquer you. But conquer evil by doing good. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. God is just, we are not. Can we agree on that this morning? I do not judge fairly. I judge with a slight bent towards my favor. And we all will do that. That's the way we are as human beings. As born sinners, the Bible says, that we will always do that. So we have to allow God to handle the judging part, the judgment, the punishment. That's on him to handle because he has a full view of the situation, a full view of the individual. I love the story of King David on many levels, but one of my favorite things about King David, and you should read a book, it's a a quick book, Uh, it's called A Tale of Three Kings. It talks about unforgiveness and bitterness and and how we should handle those things and when we've been wrongly done how we respond to it and David was anointed king he was the next man God had anointed him to be the man 
And the king, Saul, who was in charge, was ruthless. He was disobeying God. God was stripping the kingdom from him. And so he was getting jealous of David because Davis was having God's favor and having victories. And so he says, well, this guy is a threat to my throne, so I'm going to eliminate the threat. So he sends people to kill David. David was already told by God, you're my man. You're the next king. So David's literally running for his life in fear. And there's a moment where Saul is chasing him and he's asleep. And David outwitted him and had an opportunity to take Saul's life. Again, God had already said, you're my man. David had the support of the people that if he would have taken Saul's life, they would have immediately have elevated him and promoted him and been behind him. And in that moment, David had the opportunity to pay back evil, to respond in a way that most of us would want to. And he said, this is not my place. This is God's place. And God has put him in power And I will not remove him myself. I will allow God to do that. And in that moment, he responded right. That that is up to God to handle, not us. Why is bitterness and unforgiveness so important to deal with for us? Why should we deal with that? Matthew 6, 14. Jesus said this. These are his words. He said, in order to be forgiven, you must forgive. And as much forgiveness that we extend to others, actually, the Bible says, dictates how much forgiveness God can extend to you and to me. And if we carry anger and unforgiveness and bitterness towards someone else, it's going to limit what God can do for you and through you. And so he says, you've got to deal with it. And that's where we get to the shooting in Charleston. When something that traumatic happens, how would you respond if that was your loved one? What would you say to the man who took the life of your mother, of your friend? Let's take a look at this clip real quick. I forgive you. You took something very precious away from me. I would never talk to her ever again. I would never be able to hold her again. But I forgive you. You know, I forgive you and my family forgive you. But we would like you to take this opportunity to repent. Repent. Confess. Give your life to the one who matters the most, Christ. We welcome you. Wednesday night in our Bible study with open arms. You have killed some of the most beautiful people that I know. Every fiber in my body hurts. But as we say in a Bible study, we enjoyed you. But may God have mercy on you. It's a powerful moment, two days removed from that shooting and his arraignment, where these people, two days in, I mean, had yet really even had time to probably even process what had happened. The shock of that moment is still very real and fresh to them. The emotions are raw and real, but they have the maturity. Those are people who had been walking with Christ, who were uh, in relationship with him and were spending time in, in prayer and 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 immediately they knew, not because he deserved it, but because it was what was best for them. 
that they should forgive, that they should offer forgiveness. And the heart of that man saying, we forgive you, but take this opportunity to get your life right with Christ. That's what matters. That's what mattered to them, that they had the maturity in their walk of saying, we forgive you. And I think the only way you can do that, again, is to get that perspective and that, that mindset of saying, the only way that someone can, can love someone like that, that's, that's love in action. The only way that you can do that is with the power of God in realizing and understanding how much Christ has forgiven you and he's forgiven me. And that forgiven people, Jesus said, forgiven people, if I've forgiven you, you have to forgive other people. That forgiven people must forgive people. It's the new way. Not the old, it's the new. And we have to trust Jesus in knowing that that's what's best for them and that's what's best for you. Living in that way. Martin Luther King Jr., he said that love is the only force capable of transforming an enemy into a friend love and he would know he literally changed our country willingly gave his life knowingly he had threats he had death threats on his all the time on his family and he kept pursuing the mission that he had and it ultimately cost him his life and he always responded with love he always tried to conquer evil with good and because of that, goodness won out. And it prevailed. You see, real love is about doing for others what you would wish they would do for you, is what Jesus said. He said, you can sum it all up in this. Love one another. Do for one another what you wish someone would do for you. It didn't say do for someone else what they have done to you. He said what you wish they would do for you. Treat them that way. Love them that way. You see, love is the only force capable of revealing Jesus. And when we respond right in those moments of life, and tragically as this was, what those people were doing was revealing Jesus. Responding right reveals that power within you that says, there's something greater in me than he, that's in the world that enables me to extend love and mercy and forgiveness when I have a right to extend something else. Responding right reveals Jesus and that you truly belong to him. So Jesus has given us this command that we are to respond this way. But what's awesome is, is that not only do we just listen to what he says, that we can follow his example and what he did. That we can follow the example of Christ. And we have to do that in our own lives and what, what we're pursuing with him is saying that we are now following after Christ. And, and loving our neighbor says that we are going to follow his example. And how awesome is Jesus that he not only said it, but he lived it. That he didn't just tell us what to do, that he showed us what to do. You see, because he was wrongly accused, wrongly murdered, and sacrificed on a cross, and died a criminal's death, died a sinner's death, and he had never sinned. That he died in my place and in your place and in Matthew chapter 5 he says you are to be perfect as your father in heaven has been perfect and we can't attain this but he tells us that look if you're going to follow me there's some standards that you must strive for Paul illustrates and explains Christ's attitude in Philippians chapter 2 
verse 5 through 8, he said, your attitude should be the same that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not demand and cling to his rights as God. He made himself nothing. He took the humble position of a slave and appeared in human form. And in human form, he obediently humbled himself even further by dying a criminal's death on a cross. If anyone had the right to respond with anger, it was Jesus. Because he had never sinned. He had never done anything wrong. Yet he responded with grace and with love, even to the ones who were murdering him. You remember, he's on the cross, right? We just sang about the beautiful exchange that took place. And and even in the, the final moments of his life, as he's hanging on the cross, he extends forgiveness to the very ones who are murdering him. He said, God, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They don't get it. So Jesus didn't just say it. He lived it. He didn't just say you should do this. He showed us what we should do, how we could follow. And listen, this is what separates Jesus from every other false god in religion that you've ever heard of. He was the only God who was willing to come and live with his people and was willing to die in their place. Jesus was the only man historically proven. The Bible is historical. It's it's historical uh, stories that was documented and written down thousands of years ago that these men who lived with Jesus, he predicted his death, he died, predicted his resurrection, and rose from the grave. And then these 12 men who followed him and spent all their time with him were willing to go to their death because of what Jesus did. Now let me give you a little context here. If you remember, when the night that Jesus was portrayed, Peter, his most closest guy who was the, the foundation of the church which we're enjoying today, when he was told that Jesus was going to be crucified, he bailed out. He denied him. He was scared to death. He had spent three years with them. He saw them get raised from the dead, and yet he does that. But then Peter then gets martyred and killed for Jesus years later. What changed in that moment of time? Jesus came back from the dead, and Peter saw him and said, you really are the Messiah. There's no doubt anymore. You did what you said that you would do. So I will die for you. And all of his disciples, 12 of them, minus one, John was, they tried to kill him. They threw him off a building and he miraculously survived. But all of them were martyred for their belief in Jesus. Who would be willing to do that if they, Jesus didn't do what he said he would do? So because of what he did, not because of what he said, but because of what Jesus did, I follow him. And I submit to him. And I submit to his scripture, and I submit to what he taught and what he told me to do. And I submit to his attitude, because that's what separated Jesus from every other God, and it's what separates you from every other person in this world. Jesus said, they will know you. They will know you are my disciple. Not by a Facebook status, not by a cross you wear around your neck. Not by a bracelet you put on. Not by a t-shirt that you wear. Not by what you say. He said, they will know you are mine by your love. By what you do. Responding right reveals Jesus. It's what separates us and makes us different. And we must strive for that standard. It won't be reached. You won't always hit it. But Jesus says, We should strive for it. And with his power and with his love in us, 
enabling us, we can live out what he taught because he did it. And he said, and the same power that raised me from the dead is inside of you. That that same spirit dwells in all who call on him. And he said, in fact, that not just that same power that raised me, he said, you will do even greater things than me. That he can give you the power to rise above those situations in life, to love, to extend grace and mercy to even the ones who are attacking and persecuting and coming after us. The band's coming. We're going to close out this morning. And I don't know where you're at, but I know for some of you that some stuff has happened in your life and you're saying, but Kyle, you don't get it. You don't know what they did to me. You don't know what they said. You don't know the actions that happened. You don't know what I went through. And I would say, you're right. I don't. But here's what I do know. Jesus does. Jesus does know what you went through. He can empathize with you. He can sympathize with you because he's felt what you felt and yet he did not sin. He was brutally beaten and murdered yet he extended grace and mercy. So he says, I... He, he says today, I, I can't say it, but Jesus extends that to you. He says, I know exactly how you feel. I get it. And if you will submit to me, if you will follow me, if you will surrender to me, I can give you what you need to rise above, to be who I've called you to be. And don't allow the chains of bitterness and unforgiveness keep you from what God has for you. It's a quote that says that when we extend forgiveness, that we set a prisoner free, realizing that the prisoner was us. You don't do it for them. You do it for you. And then through that, and through that action, and through that love, man, we put Jesus on display. That video that we watched... To me, all I heard was Jesus. Only Jesus in that moment can extend the forgiveness that those people extended. That went on every news network, and I was thrilled. I said, that's incredible. People getting it right. Too often, we see the ones who don't, but they got it right. And you can get it right, but you can't do it on your own. It has to be Jesus in you and through you to be all that he's called you to be. Would you stand with me today as we close out and as we give the Holy Spirit time to work in this moment? We're going to sing this song again about the beautiful exchange. The song says that it was only love that could make a way for you and me to come to Jesus. It was only love. That Jesus was love. The Bible describes God as, as, as love, that he encompasses all that love is. And it says it was his exchange where Jesus took my sin and offered forgiveness. When he took my hate and exchanged it with love. That I didn't deserve it, but he gave it anyway. It was a beautiful exchange. And that same love that he extended in that moment is the same love that will enable you to extend the same thing. And today, he wants you to exchange it. Exchange the bitterness. Exchange the unforgiveness. Allow his love to break those chains in your life. And when you surrender to him and you offer it to him, he promises, he promises to meet you right where you're at, to give you the strength that you need to 
be who he's called you to be. Let's ask God to come. Let's invite him here as we close out for just a moment. And for some of you, I would just encourage you just to say, God, I forgive them. Start the process right now. Begin praying for that enemy. Begin praying for that one who's hurt you. Begin the process right now. And I, I believe as you do that, that God's spirit will come, that he will enable you and empower you to be able to forgive. He will begin to heal you and allow you to not get stuck in your past, but to fully embrace your future and all that he has for you.